Hello and welcome to a very special Gamescom Studio episode of Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show. I'm your host, Brian Altano. With me today is Max Scoville, Jonathan Dornbush, and Lucy O'Brien. I didn't know which 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 version of you guys were going to pop up and in which order, but I'm glad you're all here. Uh, beyond, friends. Hello. Welcome to Gamescom. Beyond. 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 <laughs> Uh, well, uh, this was not exactly like a big, big PlayStation show, right? Like this wasn't, we didn't really get like big PlayStation showcase or like a E3 shaped press conference or really anything specifically from them. But we did get some great news and uh, some sort of like PlayStation adjacent stories and stuff like that. So that's very cool. So let's break down some of the biggest things that happened. Uh, first of all, obviously Horizon uh, got some updates. We got a brand new release date for the upcoming Horizon game and a new patch for Horizon Zero Dawn, which just hit PS5 just sort of quietly during the middle of the show, which is a nice surprise. Sony's rollout has been uh, a little perplexing, but let's get into that. Jonathan, tell us about the Horizon Forbidden West release date. Uh, we know it's February 18th, 2022 on PS4 and PS5. How do you feel about this? I mean, I think it totally makes sense. You know, this is, uh, we're a few weeks out from those reports where we were going to get, uh, where we learned that there was supposedly a delay for Horizon and Sony never commented at that point. My guess is because they wanted to actually put a specific release date to it and they weren't just, you know, uh, wanting to put out a message of like, we're moving to 2022. They wanted to move specifically to a specific date. Uh, so I think... February looks great. It's, uh, you know, it's the time of year when the original Horizon launched. So I think it's going to be a probably a pretty good time to launch a Horizon sequel. Yeah, uh, Lucy, what are you what are your thoughts here? Are you're you're excited for this game, right? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, in terms of the release date delay, I think the messaging of it was really well handled. Like it was presented as something that was quite celebratory as opposed to we're really sorry, but we've delayed this game. Um, you know, the reports were obviously uh, quite watertight. Uh, and the, the messaging was we needed to give our team some work-life balance. Like the pandemic is real. The pandemic has been a, 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 a background thing during the making of this game. Um, and overall, I thought the messaging was really healthy and celebratory. And, and, and um, I'd like to see more of that when it comes to delays rather than, oh, this is such a bummer and we're really sorry. There's nothing to apologize for. This is the right move. I totally agree. I actually pr really appreciate the sort of like video messaging rather than just like the rectangular JPEG on Twitter. I feel like <laughs> Cyberpunk did that for so long that it just became like a meme at this point that if you delay a game using an, an image on social media, it just doesn't have the same heart as, you know, getting some figureheads from the studio to be like, we're hard at work. Um, we're really proud of it, but uh, things are difficult right now, so we're going to take our sweet time. We'll see you in a few months. No, the, the, the JPEG is like texting to say you're going to be late, but like really just kind of phoning it in. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sort of like as much as I would love to sort of get my hands on a big, huge open world game this fall, uh, I'm kind of okay with, you know, with a February, you know, release. I mean, the, the, the first one came out, uh, what was it? It was like a March release, I think. And it was, it was February know, 2017, actually. Was it, it was a February. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like that's, they've got, you know, pretty good luck with that, with that window there. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we're, we're sort of accustomed to huge games coming out in the fall. And frequently there's almost like you're almost overwhelmed by that. But I feel like we're more and more sort of seeing this, you know, games kind of stake out their own little, you know, corners of, of the year when they come out. So this is, you know, that's cool. And I mean, also like to Lucy's point, like that's a very healthy, it's a very healthy reason to, to push a game and to be mm -hmm. like, hey. And also like I appreciate them not being, not giving the ambiguous like, 
hey everybody we're sad to say the game isn't ready yet we'll have more news soon just be like hey here's a release date and you know it's still totally possible it gets pushed again that right. sort of thing does happen but yeah you know i don't know it's it's uh we have a date that's that's cool we get to go swimming now, uh, in 2017, Horizon Zero Dawn did launch in February, and just a few weeks later, Breath of the Wild came out. And I, th I know people get upset when you sort of like uh, conjoin these games in your brain, but that's really just what happened at that period in time. And we still have that sort of floating nebulous idea that Breath of the Wild 2 will happen at some point. Do you all think that the, these games will just be forever, you know, sort of doppelgangers of each other? Like, will Breath of the Wild 2 come out very close to this? and you know, compete for time again. I remember, I, I believe uh, the original Horizon sold around 10 million units and Breath of the Wild so has sold around 22, 23 so far. So, you know, there's both were wildly successful, but I, I feel like one sort of dominated the conversation for a while there. I, I mean, we also got that funny thing where their DLCs were like announced right alongside each right. other as well. There, there was just sort of this repeated pattern. Uh, I mean, obviously I know we're not Nintendo voice chat, but you can always, of course, check Brian out there. I feel like, Personally, there's no way Breath of the Wild 2 comes out that early next year. I don't like if that game even hits before the fall, I'd be shocked. So mm -hmm. I don't expect them to go head to head. I do think it would be hilarious if timing worked out that way. But at this point, I'm I'm not quite expecting it. And and the beginning of 2022 is already pretty packed with like big games. So Breath of the Wild can kind of go whenever it's ready, and I'm sure they'll be fine. And we did. Yeah, get I agree. Like uh, one thing that I just want to just quickly mention is that I always really dislike those comparisons as someone who reviewed the original um, Horizon Zero Dawn um, and also adored Breath of the Wild. Uh, I got really frustrated when people were like, well, it's basically the same game because you've got a bow and arrow. And it's like, well, no, 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 it's, you know, it's what fell on your head. That's what <laughs> they're, they're really, really different games. And I, I you know, I was also it, 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 I don't blame people for jumping ship. Uh, from Horizon to Breath of the Wild at the time, um, because Breath of the Wild, as as you know, as you said, Altano did dominate the conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I I I agree with Dorno. Breath of the Wild two is not going to come out February next year. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> if it does, I'll be really bummed. Like I get that it's like going to be ironic, fun, sort of hum you know, it's hilarious. But right. It's also like, no, I, I felt really bad that the original Horizon had to sort of contend with that well i read i read a rumor on game facts that said that uh horizon actually uh breath of the wild copied all of horizon in the two week window between those two games came out <laughs> yeah they <laughs> they actually saved a file of horizon as just dot switch that's and right. exported that to the carts and that's how it works yeah they're the I exact mean, same the, games yeah the, yeah. the <laughs> funny weird sort of full circle thing is that a lot of people have drawn the comparison to you know genshin impact making a few uh, taking some hints from Breath of the Wild, sort of stylistically and mechanically. Uh, and then they went ahead and put Aloy in Genshin Impact. So it's sort of like, hmm, what's going on here, you know? Yeah, I do appreciate that. That That is a sort of funny, you know, uh, little anecdote right there. Now, um, one of the, I always forget that this game takes place in San Francisco, and it's funny to see like a dilapidated <laughs> diner in the background. Uh, so when we started this year, uh, or, or especially I, I think when we when we pre-ordered our PS5s last year, going back to the the olden times now, uh, and we got our PS5s in the mail, you know, we were some of those lucky few people that were able to secure a pre-order. I know so many of you are still fighting for those out there. There was this idea that uh, 2021 was going to be Horizon and God of War. Those were the big, big tentpole games, big PlayStation first party exclusives happening this year. Now, obviously, we did get some other stuff. We got Ratchet and, you know, a few other things here and there. But um, those games have now 
100 percent officially slipped into 2022 meaning that playstation doesn't really have any big first party games this fall obviously there's death stranding director's cup which we'll talk about in a second but how do you all feel about that do you think does it does it matter are we worried are we worried about the big billionaire company not having any exclusives this fall? I'm I'm shaking in my boots, Brian, <laughs> let me tell you. I mean, no, this is, this is something we talked this week about on Next Gen Console Watch. Sony pretty historically doesn't put games out in the fall. They, like, other than the PS5's launch last year and, you know, Spider-Man in September, uh, Death Stranding notwithstanding, they, they typically for most of the beginning of the the console's life cycle, left the fall to the third parties for the PS4 and put out their biggest games like Uncharted, like The Last of Us Part Two, like Ghost, uh, like so many others in the first half of the year. So it kind of just feels par for the course. And like you said, we got Ratchet, we got Returnal, we're going to get a bunch of third parties, <clears throat> excuse me, this fall. So I, I think we'll be okay. I think the, the multi-billion dollar company will survive. Uh, Max, how yeah. do you feel about that? You're you're busy, right? You have a lot of a lot of stuff to play this fall. You're going to be okay. Yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I think in this case, <laughs> like you think about how many people are still hankering to get their hands on a PS5. Uh, I feel like Sony's more likely going to put out a bundle. You know, like mm-hmm. we heard about mm-hmm. that sort of newer, slight, you know, slightly lighter version of the PS5 that's sort of hitting some territories. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw like, oh, it's the Spider-Man bundle that come, you know, because that's a hugely popular game. And you, like, why why worry on trying to ship a, a you know, brand new game for this system that no one can get their hands on when you could focus more on getting that system in more people's hands. Right. Uh, and, of, you know, of course, they're also, I don't know, there's there's a lot of, a lot of these games are coming to PS4 and PS5. Uh, so, yeah, I, again, I think, I think it's going to be, it, it's funny to think of Death Stranding as being like their big holiday release because that's such a bizarre, obtuse game that is, you know, like I, it's hard to imagine somebody just opening that up on Christmas morning and being like, oh boy, the sad mailman game. Okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> well, and we've got Deathloop, the Xbox now published. It's a weird year. PlayStation exclusive. But Strange yeah. timeline. We did get, uh, and I mentioned it briefly earlier, we did get uh, a quick update on Horizon Zero Dawn, which is available now. It's been available for years, as we talked about. But it got it got some big sort of technical upgrades on PS5. Lucy, you reviewed that game. Do you, mm-hmm. or, do you have any plans to jump back in there and sort of refresh yourself before... Uh, February and the the sequel comes out. Definitely, I you know I I, I feel like a broken record at this point because I've said this so many times. But when I first played Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, I was it was the best looking game I'd played on the PlayStation Four to date. Yeah, and uh, for me, I sort of I'm so excited to see what this you know 4K uh, 60 frames per second update is going to look like on the PS5. I just think it's such a beautiful world. I think there's so much um, sort of grandiousness. That's not a word. Uh, <laughs> grandiosity. What other what other made up word can I say? There's so much. There's so much uh, grandiosity. Grandiosity. <laughs> it's such a big, beautiful world, uh, and those machines are just so so intimidating and and ridiculous. And I'm just really excited to jump back in. I think I'm actually going to do a full playthrough. I mean, I know there's a lot, like we've got a lot of, uh, you know, piles of shame right now, but like I am very keen to jump back into that game mm-hmm. now that it's got this, you know, 
this quality of life upgrade. I'm very excited. No, I'm with you. I feel like the pandemic's been all about like going back to comfort food games for me. So I'm very down to play that right. one again. Uh, but we do have to take a very quick break. But coming up in just a bit, we're going to break down some of the biggest indie and third party games coming to PlayStation in lieu of all those, you know, AAA first party exclusives. So do not go anywhere because we'll be back with more podcasts beyond at Gamescom Studio Live right after this. Welcome back to Podcast Beyond, our weekly PlayStation show here at IGN. We're right in the thick of Gamescom right now. Actually, I don't like saying that expression at all. I'm never going to say it again. I'm never going to say that's a very bad expression, and I'm done saying it. Anyway, Gamescom is happening right now, and lots of really cool new games are coming to PlayStation. So let's talk about them, starting with Jet the Far Shore, which comes out in October. The game looks rad. And Jonathan, you've actually played it already. Tell us about this game. Uh, so I've played probably, I want to say maybe four or so hours of it. Uh, I've played a good chunk on a, a PC preview build, but it is coming to both PS4 and PS5. Uh, this is the latest game from Super Brothers, who are the creators of the beloved Sword and Sorcery, but they haven't really made another game since then. They've been pretty quiet, but uh, I didn't really know what to expect going into this game. It was revealed back at the uh, June PS5 showcase last year. Uh, as one of like the big indies coming to to PS5. And it got delayed a little bit and, and whatnot. And now we know this October release. And we've seen some gameplay since then. But I did I like I still didn't have a sense of what you'd actually be doing in the game. And uh after playing, uh this is one of those games where I it it is both hard to explain and also I don't want to stop explaining it because it's so <laughs> cool and interesting and weird. Um it's one of those games that I really, really hope people people check out and don't sleep on because it's so singular to me in a certain way. So essentially the setup is you are this uh, space explorer who is part of this expedition uh, that is going out in search of this thing known as the Him Wave. And the Him Wave is a thing that this society that you're a part of has been spending generations trying to build toward finding essentially like they're they believe it's their salvation it's sort of like a mix of religion and science sort of belief system going on here and finally you are one of the people who will be going out into space to find the hymn wave uh and so you're set out on this journey and primarily there there are some like first person uh interactive scenes where you're like talking to other characters getting to learn a little bit about the world but but primarily you're playing in a jet, which is a, a jet just with two T's. Um, and it's a game where you're essentially researching this world, surfing around the surface of it, jumping from like skimming the ocean to skimming the, the land, using some of the alien flora and fauna to like, oh, this sort of seed I've discovered happens to be explosive if hurled, so I'm going to throw it to open up a pathway over here. Or, oh, if I lead these animals over here, they cause vapor to emit, and the vapor helps keep my engines running more smoothly because the vapor on the world helps like keep the the pressure down. It's It sounds all weird and disparate but it is like the the best thing i can say about the game is that it it imbued the sense of like wonder and awe in me like it's trying to capture the excitement and the trepidation and fear of space travel and it it pulls it off it's really cool I'm, wow. I'm getting like there. It's the way you're describing it. There's there's like sort of notes of No Man's Sky a little bit. I hate to just sort of like you know pigeonhole this, but it also feels um, sad. Like there's a sort of like inherent yes. sadness to this game. No, there there is. It's it's both sad and exciting, and that, that's sort of the thing is like space is lonely (laughs) Um, you know like space is is sort of a lonely experience and yes you're going on with this group but the way this world is sort of like desolate that you're exploring and your 
you know, you're essentially invading this world. You, you don't belong there, but you believe you're on this mission. Your team believes they have to be here and they're compelled to come here. And so there is like the thing that I love about this game is the moods it's evoking in me as I'm playing. It is that joy and that wonder of like controlling the ship is like controlling a, a skate or Tony Hawk based skate ship. Like it, it nails that sort of like movement and speed and you can do little hops and dodge rolls and like hitting those different little vapor points to keep going at the like top speed that you want to. And then pulling like a sharp curve up a mountainside is this incredible, cool feeling, but also you're like, Oh, I need to go sort of explore. You see in some of the footage, what that strange obelisk sort of pyramid thing is in the background. So there's a little bit of journey there. It's I I'm with you. Like I kept trying to pigeonhole it into like, Oh, it's sort of no man's sky meets the outer wilds meets journey or, or uh, you know, meets X, Y, and Z, but it's really like singular in kind of how it meshes all those things together. And it does have like a structure to it. You are sort of going like mission by mission. You're given, you know, in one mission, explore, this outcropping and learn as much about the different uh, animals and the different plants as you can and, and kind of get a sense of what you can actually do on this world. Another is, oh, let's go to that interesting obelisk sort of thing. Like, there's there are actual missions. You're not just set out onto the world left to do anything like No Man's Sky. There is structure to it. But don't know. I'm getting some real, like, Ridley Scott alien, but not just not just the alien, like, sort of series but specifically his vision for alien which is alien and then prometheus and covenant as well mm -hmm. so you've got like a very kind of 70s uh spaceship interior design vibe yes. then you know with the obelisks and all the strange uh you know objects that are imbued with huge amounts of meaning and, and history it, it feels very much like his kind of prequel um, ideas like aesthetically it's very much reminding me of that and, series and it's it's all of that in one rather than like piecemealed right. out over decades mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really smart about how it doles all that out and yeah like the things that i love about it are the things that are almost like indescribable on an emotional level like it, it was mm -hmm. it, this sounds very cliched and i know it's extremely hyperbolic but just getting to pilot the jet for the first time like when you're set out was one of those like oh, this is why I play video games sort of moments. Like it was one of those, oh, this is just such a wonderful, unique, fun experience. And I am controlling the ship and I'm not doing anything too crazy, but there was just something like serene and zen about it. But like, as you said, there's this creeping undertone of sadness and worry and mystery because it is like, this is what a civilization has been building for generations to get to. And now you're part of it. And it's like, is it living up to their expectations? What is, you know, not sitting right with them? What is sitting right? There's like beautiful, incredible sort of like grandiose elements of like some of the animals you encounter and things. It, it's so cool. And I, I don't want to say too many specifics because I, I genuinely don't want to spoil this experience but it feels like one of those things where i remember um outer wilds coming out and people were like i can't tell you anything about it but i loved it and you need to go play it this feels like one of those things and it's not like a time loop game where you're sort of thing but it is it's a really special experience from what i played and, and your I, like, spaceship isn't made of wood you're not chasing banjo music that sounds great yeah it's uh <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a it's the the soundtrack is by a uh, scientific who does a lot of great video game scores including uh the oxen free score which i adore uh so it, it's a really moody really resonant sort of sound that i think again captures those moods this game is so much about the moods it evokes and and letting you piece together Huh. what you care about in the story with your own emotions. Like it's, so, it's genuinely been moving for me. So you mentioned play. there being missions. 
I'm curious, like sort of structurally, does it feel like, does it feel like unexplored territory and you just kind of can pick a direction and go? Are you sort of in, you know, or is there like a waypoint? Are you, is it like, is it open world? I guess I'm, I'm just sort of curious about sort of how you go from point to point and. No, totally. So the, the way, at least the, the bit of the game I was playing was that it kind of happened over a couple days on the planet. Um, like in some of the gameplay, you can see us kind of, uh, dropping into the atmosphere. That is like the first mission out on this planet. And you spend a day exploring because you are essentially the lead explorers. Like you were the first ones kind of put out there to go explore and find a good place for everyone else to land who's still up in a space station. So you're charting the territory and the game leads you along to places. So it's like there is a pretty wide expanse of ocean that you can kind of just be surfing around and and explore, but you're eventually sort of led to go to like, oh, but there is a uh, an island over here that might be a good habitat for us to go explore. We should go over there. And there's a waypoint on your map that leads you there. Like there there, there are constraints, but it never felt constraining if that And I, I'm guessing you can't just land anywhere and get out and walk around. There's like certain sort of hubs that you can... Exactly, right, yeah. Okay. And, and eventually, like without spoiling it again, but it is something we're allowed to talk about. Like you, you do, you can see it in some of the, the footage. There is a mission control base that you eventually, you know, plonk down on the planet. And that's sort of where you go out from to do your missions going forward sort of thing. Cool. Yeah, I imagine you're going to have a full written preview for this game, right? Yeah, we have a written and video preview up so people can go check that out if they they want to see a little bit more. It's as story spoiler free as possible because again, it's it's a thing that I think you want to witness that for yourself the first time around. But yeah. Well, that is Jet the Far Shore it comes out in October so you don't have to wait too long. Uh we also got a new look at Sifu which is coming February 22nd, which is now 4 days after Horizon Forbidden West, which is kind of crazy that we went from being like where are the playstation games and now we have these 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 two games are coming out back to back very very different obviously um who who's excited for this because i know i am uh me Can't yeah. hey remember, yeah. remember sleeping dogs remember that next. remember that horrifically underrated sleeping dogs one of the best open world <laughs> games where you could beat the crap out of somebody with like a fish besides mm-hmm. the yakuza game like i'm i'm so stoked on this and when they were like yeah i mean i feel like some of the early stuff we saw made it look a little more sort of cinematic camera angle wise. And in this case, they were like, eh, it's kind of like Arkham combat. And I'm like, you know what? It's been a minute since we had that. I'm super down with the sort of Kung Fu setting. I love how stylized this is minimally and like doing that stuff where you're like flipping a dude into a, you know, a shelf full of pottery or watermelons or whatever. <laughs> super into it. Um, and also like, it seems like there's that kind of, you know, roguelike uh, element to it where you, you, you die and then you come back and you're older, which is, sort of how I feel playing games that are hard. <laughs> I love the art direction of this game, especially some of the lighting, some of the more sort of like neon magenta areas, especially, but just like all the character models look super clean. You know, you've got some splashes of blood here and there and some incredible lighting, but all in all, I really appreciate just how cinematic this game looks. And I know that's a very overused descriptor, but um, I dig it. Like, I feel like we don't get enough games like this anymore. This is, you know, I've, I've been replaying River City Ransom, like the original one. Hell yeah. And this, and the, yeah, and this, this feels like, you know, in the same way the yakuza games do that this feels evocative of of, of the beat-em-ups from that era but obviously a lot more stylized which i'm i'm totally all about this is like detailed in the right places yeah you know like there's a lot yeah. of it that's very minimalist but then there's clearly parts that are you know there's a lot of you know focus on it and i think it's what was there what was their last game um absolver absolver mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was obviously very kind of you know low poly and i think this is like it feels like a step up in that area but there's there's a little more to look at. There's a lot more kind of visual density. And I'm, I think they found a really, a really good sweet spot aesthetically. 
Well, if you like characters that uh, do some butt kicking, we are going to take a very quick break. But when we come back, we are talking about new games in the Marvel, Saints Row, Ninja Turtles and Lego Star Wars universes. I feel like all those universes are going to be one universe someday. Thanks, Disney. Uh, I cannot wait for all those things. But in the meantime, don't go anywhere because we will be right back with more podcasts beyond at Gamescom Studio Live right after this. Hello and welcome back to Podcast Beyond, part of this year's Gamescom Studio show right here at IGN. Right now, we're talking about the big games coming to PlayStation soon and soon-ish, so let's get right into it. Starting with the brand new announced Midnight Suns, uh, it's sort of Marvel and XCOM coming together at last. Jonathan, you're excited for it. Lucy, you're excited for it. I'm excited for it. Max, you're uh, the biggest comic book fan on this panel. What's, what's the story of this game? So this is a, this is an all new story, which is is kind of a relief because if you're you know there's a lot of Marvel baggage to unpack, and this is uh, kind of a reinterpretation of a team that I believe debuted in the early '90s, and basically uh, it, from the sound of it, the universe has kind of gone to hell, and so all of Earth's mightiest heroes, both the Avengers and you know the other other ones, have sort of teamed up to uh, you know to fight the bad demons and the bad guys, and so you've got kind of the occult side of Marvel, so you've got like you know Doctor Strange and Blade and Ghost Rider and uh, then there's also, you know, like Wolverine and, and you know, Iron Man and, and all them. And um, but yeah, so the whole it's it's a whole new kind of unique universe. They've they've created this, you know, original setup, uh, which I'm excited about uh, for Axis. You know, obviously, XCOM, a lot of comparisons are, can be drawn, but they've kind of stressed that this is, you know, less about making you feel powerless like you do in XCOM and a little more about being a superhero. Uh, I don't think they're they're messing with the permadeath so much. It's uh, they want to have a. a a style that makes it immediately recognizable as its own thing, which I don't think means specifically everyone's going to be wearing yellow and black armor with, with runes on it. But mm -hmm. you know, there obviously there's going to be like costume changes. The thing I'm most excited about here is that in addition to sort of turn-based tactical RPG gameplay, there's also going to be like a social hub, which they, they kind of liken to like the Normandy uh, in mass effect, where you basically can go back and you can have, relationship not romantic relationships but like friendships with different marvel heroes uh which will be interesting because you're playing as an original character who's the hunter or i guess the not not the huntress that's a dc character but you can kind of choose your create your own character your own you know gender and everything and uh kind of you know determine how you interact with these different characters at your little your little home base but it's it's you know it's uncharted territory like it's completely its own you know its own you know infinite earth or whatever it's its own it's its own timeline and I'm, I don't know, Firaxis is their XCOM speaks for itself. They know what they're doing over there. They make some really cool games. And uh, from the sound of it, like the, the people at Marvel games are all big, like XCOM dorks. And they basically were like pretty stoked about working with Firaxis and they know what the studio is capable of. So it doesn't mm -hmm. sound like it's going to be one of those situations where, you know, uh, you've got, you know, an IP holder forcing a studio to get out of their comfort zone. It sounds like they're kind of like, you know, play to your strengths, do your thing, take yeah, our characters we and have fun with it. We had the devs on our show, uh, on our Gamescom show just the other day, and they, they were talking about how Marvel came to them with the pitch because they were XCOM fans. I think that's super cool. Uh, it's really awesome to see Marvel games sort of like branching out in so many different directions. You know, we're getting so many movies and TV shows, action figures and all that. Comic books, obviously, still forever. But to see like so many different games in so many different genres happening at the same time is super, super cool. Uh, I just want to add that I love, love, love the aesthetic of this. I yes. love that this yeah. is like a, a 90s trading card aesthetic. Remember those like gorgeous like foil trading cards that, um, yes. you know, Marvel released during the 90s? Every single shot of this trailer is like one of those cards Marvel I, just series, love, yeah. I, I love yeah. how they've they've completely placed it in a very kind of 90s aesthetic 
And I'm just so here for this game. <laughs> you know what's you know what's cool about this is that it looks nothing like the MCU. Like it's yeah. not right, even going exactly. anywhere near it. It's totally doing its own thing. They didn't try to make, I don't know, they didn't try to make Doctor Strange look like Benedict Cumberbatch. They didn't try to make Wolverine look like Hugh Jackman. It's it looks like its own its own game, which I'm very relieved about, not to throw shade at any other Marvel games. No, totally. <laughs> um I want to talk about Saints Row, because uh, I'm a huge fan of the series. I know a bunch of you are. Uh, it's been, what, almost nine nine years since we've gotten a new GTA game. The last one we got was GTA V, uh, out again this fall, I believe. Um, come, but, but in the meantime, Saints Row was a franchise that sort of like ran in parallel with GTA for a very long time. You know, it had its ups and downs. Uh, it started out kind of a little sort of grounded, a little bit, and then got totally over the top, and then went into superhero stuff. Um, you know, there was a, a a thing in one of the games where you were the president. You had to, like, blow up. It's just, it got crazy. But Saints Row is back. We got a brand new sort of, like, tone piece teaser followed up by some uh, gameplay on Jeff Keighley's opening night live. I'm really excited for this game. I, I feel like it's obviously, a, you know, a lot more colorful and a little bit more modernized than I think some people were expecting. But... You know, this is going to be the biggest city we've seen so far in the franchise. It's obviously over the top. Uh, there's three different sort of gangs running in perpetuity right now. Uh, and you've got dune buggies, sci-fi weapons, explosions. You can create your own character. I'm really excited to see Saints Row coming back. I miss open world games like this. Um, how do you all feel about this? I'm I, jury's kind of still out. I'm very happy we're getting new Saints Row. This aesthetic is obviously a little bit divisive for a lot of people, but I'm willing to give it a chance because the thing with Saints Row has always been you create your own character. Like you can go completely nuts. And they've said this is going to be the most robust character creator you have yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious if that's going to extend to like what your gang looks like. Uh, I see people like talking about how you're basically playing as like a bunch of a bunch of kids, you know? Maybe it's the fact that we've all gotten a lot older since the last Saints Row game came out. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's a new setting. It's nice to not revisit that same uh, Steelport map, whether it's like the, the Matrix or, you know, the right. superhero version or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with it. Like I, I played like the I played Saints Row 3 as like a very overweight Adam Sessler with like an M41 pulse rifle from aliens. So like what they show in the trailer is usually not indicative of what your experience is going to be. Uh, yeah. you know, and it's, I mean, they, they, they said there's character creation and there's VTOL jets and there's crazy weapons. And like, that sounds like they're, you know, it's not agents of mayhem. Like it's not a hero shooter. It's a saints row game. It's a big yes. open world saints row game. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what I want to hear more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, this trailer was extremely polished, which, um, you know, which is great for a trailer. And I understand the, 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 the sort of thinking behind that. But when I'm, when I'm sort of picturing Saints Row, um, it's not just about like, you know, cars flying through the air. It's, it's about like the more ridiculous things you can do with your characters and, and, uh, and, and, and the world itself. So, I, you know, this is a great little taste, but I am definitely keen to see more. I, again, I'm very pleased this is happening. I love, as, as Max mentioned, I love, I too love open world games um, that are like this, where the whole idea is just to sort of wreak havoc. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just kind of want to see a little bit more of the, the, the stupidity behind it, because that's, that's what sort of weaves through Saints Row's veins for me. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it was always about magnifying the the, the sort of goofiest parts of GTA with, right. you know, UFOs and jetpacks and stuff like that. And GTA has really kind of moved away from a lot of that. Obviously, they roll a lot of that into GTA Online. But I saw people comparing this to Watch Dogs 2 in a negative way. And I, 
personally, like, I don't know, I, th- I feel like a lot of people loved Watch Dogs too. I, I think that sort of vibrant, uh, you know, fun sort of street gang approach that also still murders stuff is is it is a cool aesthetic um but anyway speaking of street gangs i do want to move on to one of the most vicious street gangs in the history of pop culture that's the ninja turtles and they are coming back with tmnt shredder's revenge and we got a really cool thing that happened yesterday uh where dot emu who's developing this game they did the recent streets of rage games uh they added april as a playable character who now literally drops the mic and uh whips her camera around to beat up people jonathan are you excited for this game uh, yeah, totally. I like, I am definitely, I would say, uh, it, it's probably easy to say I'm not the biggest TMNT fan on the, on the cast right now. I feel like it's hard to take that crown, but, uh, <laughs> I, I really grew up with the, the arcade game being like such a staple of my life. Uh, and so to have a game like this from such a pedigree as them, like I loved what they did with Streets of Rage 4. Uh, I'm really excited about this. And as a kid who had a stupidly huge crush on April O'Neil, awesome. I'm glad she's in the game and I will definitely play as her uh, in this version of it. I'm, I'm really excited and everything we've seen from it just seems like they, they know how to nail the style and the feel and what people are looking for in an in arcade revival like this. So I, I can't wait to play it. Yeah, to me, it feels like we might, uh, this might lead to DLC with like, you know, Casey Jones and maybe some other characters, maybe Splinter. Um, but yeah, this this game's still a little ways away, but it's just so gorgeous. And it's, you know, totally hitting the right notes for me in terms of like an old school arcade style beat em up. The pixel art's amazing. There was something in the last trailer where like there's all the all the foot soldiers are like typing on computers and the turtles run in and they just jump out of their cubicle desks and start fighting. <laughs> that stuff's awesome. Uh, lastly, I did want to move on to Lego Star Wars. Wars, which is like one of the biggest games for our audience. Every new trailer for that game does half a million views. People are so excited for this game. We still do not have a release date for Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga. Uh, Spring 2022 is the closest we're getting right now, but no solid date yet. But we did get to see some new footage. There's a ton of new characters. The game looks gorgeous. The lighting is awesome. I can't wait for this. Yeah, I've been such a fan of the Lego games since the start, which was Star Wars. And so, like, I totally trust in TT Games. I assume they must be doing something huge with this because, like, no disrespect to them, but they were able to churn out Lego games, like, pretty regularly, sort of like one to two a year at least minimum. And this has been, I feel like, the longest development cycle we've seen for one, but it also feels like the most ambitious they've ever done. Like, they're, they're trying to make the combat a little bit more tactile i guess they've they've switched where the camera angle is it seems to be a little bit more complex it's it's more open world in terms of like choosing where you get to go Uh, and obviously it's encompassing nine movies worth of canon so it's not a small game by any means but yeah i'm like i'm more than willing to let them take their time it's just we've now known about it for it'll be close to two years by the time it comes out if it comes out in the spring so i just i can't wait to see what they've done with this one they they know how to make a great lego game and, and it feels like they're really upping the ante here yep Well, we are going to take a very quick break, but when we come back, we're actually saying goodbye to Jonathan and Lucy and hello to IGN's Mitchell Salzman, who got a brand new behind closed doors look at a small game called Elden Ring. And obviously, Max and I have a ton of questions for him. So we're going to pick his brain about Elden Ring in just a minute. We will be back with Bebek. We'll be back with more (laughs) podcasts beyond and Elden Ring right after this. Beyond Bebek. This is Podcast Beyond at Gamescom Studio Live. I'm Brian Altano along with Max Scoville and Mitchell Saltzman who just got a behind-the-scenes look at the upcoming FromSoft game, Elden Ring, one of the most anticipated games of 2022. Dare I say all time. Mitchell, first of all, we're extremely jealous of you. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to see you. Uh, so you saw some brand new stuff from Elden Ring. You saw somebody playing the game in front of you. It's real. It exists. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah. So um, I actually have been fortunate enough to kind of get two two experiences with, with Elden Ring. The first time I got to talk with Hide, uh, Hide Miyazaki and just you know pick his brain about the game. And this time I was given basically a 15-minute presentation and then a 15-minute kind of curated gameplay walkthrough of different different sections of the game. Um, and yeah, it's it really is they keep saying that it's the culmination of everything that they've learned over the course of like, you know, the Dark Souls games, Sekiro, Bloodborne, etc. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of combines a lot of those those learnings into this gigantic open world that also has these uh they're called legacy dungeons and those are kind of like the more traditional dark souls guided areas where you you know there's a lot of branching paths there's a lot of different places you can you know find hidden hidden alcoves to find really cool items and weapons um and then they're they're punctuated by these gigantic boss fights so so yeah i got to i got to see the way they split up the open world is that they have open fields which you know are, are a typical open world you wander around there it feels like anything can happen there's there was a moment in the gameplay demonstration where i, I walked a, to a group of enemies hang, hanging out by a bonfire then all of a sudden a dragon swoops in <laughs> knocks all the enemies out it's typical dark souls fashion but then that turns into a boss fight and you have the choice of either fighting that that dragon or running the hell away uh, there was also a, a moment where you you would see like a, a caravan of enemies, like a bunch of enemies, all all guarding this uh, this like treasure carriage, and you can make the choice: do I want to engage them, or do I want to just you know leave them alone and come back when I'm stronger? That's kind of like the the big thing that I keep coming back to, and it's one of the things that Miyazaki-san really harped on: is this idea of freedom and choice. That's the big thing that I think separates. Um, Elden Ring from from their previous works. It's a game where you can really, you know, mold it in the the, the way that you really want to to play the game. There's stealth is now a really viable option. There's summons, so even if you don't want to engage with PvP, you can get uh, enemy summons, kind of like Castlevania, something or the Castlevania Art of Sorrow, where like you would you kill an enemy, you'd get their soul, and then you'd be you'd be able to use that soul as part of like your own little arsenal of weapons. Um, and then That's, there's you know spells, so it's just it, a ton of customi customization in your options. The summons thing is one of the coolest things you could possibly tell me personally today, because I I, I, grind, I like grinded on those enemies in Area of Sorrow and all the Castlevania games forever. Which is you know what's interesting about this is that you you mentioned like there's there's a lot more choice than ever before. I never really felt like those the, the FromSoft games were lacking in that department. You have sure. weapons you can choose from, character classes, you know, uh, different starting gifts and stuff like that. But it seems like they're opening that even more than ever now. Yeah, for sure, and that's one of the things like that I talk about. It's it's on top of everything else that you already have in the in those Dark Souls games, you now have this option of doing stealth as a viable option. You now have this option of specking into summons as your main method of, of dealing with tough scenarios. There was a moment in the gameplay where uh, he came up on this enemy camp where like there was just a whole camp of enemies, and he summons six dudes, six <laughs> like six PVE monsters that that all fight alongside of him, and he, he just basically summons an army to help fight him. To fight this this you know enemy encampment and I, I actually asked them i was like don't you think that that might like you know make this a little bit 
too easy. And uh, Kitao-san was the, the person that I was talking to. And he basically said, like, you know, we're well aware of, like, the power of some of these summons. And we've kind of balanced it so that, you know, you get some summons much later into the game. Uh, some You actually have to, you know, spec into uh, the, the path that allows you to summon some of these more powerful ones. So it, it's all very calculated, it feels like. I get the sense that that would be, you know, like in, in some of the, it's, you know, like if you want to do like arcane stuff in Bloodborne, it's usually kind of tougher at the front half of the game, but then it gets, you get super OP towards the right. end. I get the yeah. sense that that'd be the same deal with summons. Uh, now talking about, you talked about how there's like legacy dungeons. Is this sort of like, is this, would you compare this to like sort of Breath of the Wild in that there's the sort of the, which, you know, didn't have dungeons, but like there's different beasts that you can approach in different order. Like you can just go to, can you just run in any, any direction and pick a dungeon and see what happens or? So like... I, I will say there, I, I think there are probably a little bit, there's a little bit of Breath of the Wild in it because you, you have this spirit steed and uh, there's a lot of verticality in Breath of the Wild, right? And I think in, in Elden Ring, verticality is one of the big things that they're going for in the open world. There's actually little platforms that you can go to while you're on your spirit seed, and you can leap on, leap on them, and it'll just send you flying into the air so you can leap onto you know the tops of cliffs. Um, that's so, awesome. That's that's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that feels like something that like was you know they're pig, piggybacking off of Sekiro because that's mm-hmm. that was one of the first mm-hmm. games that made you go like oh I can go up there that's cool. Yeah, and also the seat can double jump. It doesn't seem like it takes fall damage. So th- there seems to be a lot of freedom in the the exploration of the open field. What's different than Breath of the Wild? Breath of the Wild literally you can go anywhere at any time. You can get up, you can tackle any of the four beasts at any time. Um, I was told that there is an order in Elden Ring. Like there are certain legacy dungeons that you might find earlier than you can get, like that you can actually explore them because you'll need something that you might get from one of the other legacy dungeons in order to, you know, get through. Um, right. But also, one of the things I want to, I want to, you know, make clear: there's a map in this game. Which, what? Like, there's a there's a map that you can bring up by pressing a button. Uh, you can actually collect map fragments to to build out the the map that you have. And it's one of the coolest, most stylish maps I've ever seen. It's like, it's illustrated. It's like a cartographer in the actual world actually, you know, hand drew it. And there's like illustrations all over the place. Uh, the way you you actually get, you know, you the way you actually mark places, you have a, you know, a set of markers that you can put on the map. So you can put a, a marker for like, there's an NPC over here. You put a marker where that says there's a, there's a really tough enemy over here. There's a dungeon entrance over here. Um, so it doesn't, it does, it's not like one of those Ubisoft things where you're just bombarded with icons right. and, uh, you know, waypoints. Uh, it's really just a matter of whatever you put on the map is what it shows. What's interesting to me is that, you know, we're, we're talking about all the sort of like flexibility in, in terms of play styles, your, you know, different spirits that you can bring in and stuff like that. Um, and I think some people are going to look at that and kind of be like, oh, you can make the game super easy if you stack a bunch of stuff on each other. But I also see it as like there's going to be a ton of pro players that look at this as a challenge to go like, I'm going to bring one of the more two spirits with me to one of the hardest areas in the game and publish a let's play of me just like dominating you know like that's just one really cool thing about the long tail on the on the souls games and FromSoft games in general is watching people beat them with you know guitar hero controllers and you know they're butt naked and they're fighting with just their fists like a lot of fun <laughs> stuff happens here um now obviously you you talked about how that impromptu boss fight that happened were there any other bosses you got to check out as 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 part of this preview 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the other things about the open field is that, uh, you know, like I said, it really feels like anything can happen. There's actually a field boss that is just kind of hanging out in, in one of the locations where if you, you know, get close enough, it'll just trigger a boss fight. He's, there's no fog door. There's just a really tough enemy that's guarding this, this spot. Um, and then, uh, as I said, the legacy dungeons are capped off by like the, a really big boss fight. These legacy dungeons are, um, basically the, the culmination of one of the six areas of the games. And so there's demigods at each of the, the endpoints of these legacy dungeons. Actually, uh, I don't know if you, if you've been watching the, the B-roll, but the, the boss fight that I did see was one of the ones that's featured in this trailer. It's the guy with like the, the 50,000 hands yep. and like you know, five different weapons and his arm transforms into a dragon head. Uh, so yeah, so that was the, the boss fight I, that I got to see. And it, it, you know, seemed like the most soulsiest souls boss I've ever seen. Uh, you know, he, he has really big sweeping attacks with his axe. He has, he has like a big ground pound. Uh, eventually it seems like there's a second form where his, his arm transforms into that dragon head, which gives him this unblockable grab that he just, you know, grabs you with the dragon head and just spews fire while you're inside its mouth. Uh, it's very, very cool. Now, Mitchell, one last thing before we go, very, very, very quick, and I know you don't have the definitive answer here, but do you think FromSoft will be able to stick to the January 21st release date on this one? Oh, God, don't ask me that. <laughs> I will be so heartbroken if they don't, but also I'll understand. <laughs> right. But it looked, uh, it, it looked like it's ready, right? Or it, it's getting there. Like it, it looks like it's ready. It, it, it looks like it's it's in a, in a form that is not only playable, but in a, a playable form that I really, really, really want to play right now. God, so I yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Well, I will in the play meantime, this video game. Yes, we, this, <laughs> we need this game immediately. Uh, Elden Ring, January 21st. Uh, Mitchell, you'll have a preview going up. We can read. Uh, I cannot wait for this game. We're all very, very excited for it. Uh, in the meantime, we've still got tons more Gamescom Studio ahead, including brand new looks at some really cool games like Aeon Drive, Arcadegeddon, Kanga, and tons more. So stick around because Gamescom Studio will be right back after this. And until then, beyond.